Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. My preacher Johnny did a great job last week, and thank you for showing him hospitality. Uh, but I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be back. And we're doing well. And uh, if you have any questions about mine or Lori's health, feel, feel free to ask us, uh, and we'll be glad to, to tell you. But, but we're, we're good. We're, we're not contagious. So uh, the only reason I wore that face diaper is to put everybody at ease. You know. Right? But uh, anyway, we are going to be talking today about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Thousand-year reign of Christ. When was the last time you heard a sermon on the millennium? Probably not too many. And in and, and, and probably 20 years of ministry, you know how many times I've preached on it? None. <laughs> and I've had two weeks. And you know what I did yesterday? I spent the whole day trimming my notes back. And I had like 50 pages of notes. And I said, they'll never let me preach again if I come out here with all this stuff. But uh, anyway... Let's look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. We're again in verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon... That old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Is that what your Bible says? All right. And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more until a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loose a little season. And I saw thrones. And they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ, how long? A thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. Are you seeing a pattern? This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy as he is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Hmm. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Speak to you this morning on the thousand-year reign of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. And thank you, Lord, that we're not left in doubt as to what the future holds. God, you've told us what's going to happen. There's a thousand years in the future that you have already outlined in your book. Lord, I just pray you'd help me to teach and to preach your word today. and Give me wisdom uh, to know what to do and what to say and what not to say. 
And uh, just to stay out of the way, God, and let you have your way. And I give you the praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's go to the first slide. Now, uh, this is going to be your seminary class uh, today, <laughs> seminary portion. There's three basic views of the millennium. Now, th there's a reason that I made emphasis each time we read the phrase a thousand years, because there's three different uh, prevailing views. By the way, all of my points today start with a P, so David Jeremiah will be proud of me, Adrian Rogers will be proud of me, and uh, all the preachers who like alliterative points will be proud. Uh, they all start with a P. But here's the predominant views. There's three. Now, the word millennium is a Latin word. It's, from two, well, it's actually from two Latin words. Mille, which means a thousand, and annum, which means years. The first view that we'll talk about briefly, and we'll, we're just going to briefly summarize these first two because they're false. First one is postmillennialism. This is the idea that the world is getting better and better and that the church is going to preach the gospel and the uh, church is going to be a, a greater influence in society, and eventually we'll get the world in good enough shape for Jesus to come back to. Does that sound reasonable to you? Uh, not if you watch the news, because, <laughs> you know, the world's not getting any better. It's getting worse. And, you know, this was popular in the 17th century, but World War I just about put the kibosh on it, and then World War II, the, world, the war to end all wars. And after that, people started to realize, you know, things are not really getting better, and uh, we're not getting more peaceful. We're, we're, there's more war than there's ever been. So that's the post-millennial view. The next view is ah-millennial. Everybody say ah. Pretend like you're sticking your tongue out at the doctor. Ah-millennial. Uh, the, the, the letter A, it just it, it negates whatever's before. You know, like an atheist is a, someone that's not a theist who believes in God. So ah-millennial basically means they believe that there's no millennial or that it's symbolic. It's all allegorical. And of the three views, this one is the most popular. This one is popular in a lot of the mainline denominations, not the Southern Baptist Church, thank God. But in a lot of the other denominations, this is the prevailing view. Uh, most of your Reformed churches, they're going to have an all-millennial view. And this idea is that the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the fathers, that now they have been transferred to the church. We call that replacement theology. Now, I have a big, huge problem with this. Because what it basically does is it makes God out to be a liar. It says that God doesn't keep his promises. And Paul talked about this in Romans 11. And he said, look, guys, if God didn't keep his promise to Abraham, what makes you think he's going to keep his promise to you? But how many of you know God is going to keep his promise to Abraham? <laughs> God doesn't go back on his promise. He's not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. So that's the second uh, false teaching. The third one that's the true view, which is what we believe here, or at least I do, and if you don't, you're wrong, is premillennial view. <laughs> and the premillennial view, now within premillennialism, there's three different views. There's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and then there's pan-trib. They think it's all going to pan out in the end. But uh, we're not going to talk about that, okay? So we're, we're you know, I'm pre-trib, in case you didn't know by now. But premillennial view, views that Christ will come after the tribulation period <clears throat> and that he will reign for a thousand years on the earth. Now, we believe the rapture happens first for the church, then the seven years of tribulation. Uh, he, then he comes to earth with us, by the way. We're coming with him. And then there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ. There's no reason to treat the thousand-year of Christ as an allegory. If you do that, uh, you're taking a lot of license with the Bible because if we can't take it as a literal thousand years, what does it mean? Right? I mean... It says how many times? Six times a thousand years. 
It's like God's trying to drive the point home. Do you think God knew that amillennialism would be the prevailing view? I think he did. And that's why he's telling you, a thousand years, a thousand years, just like the 1260 days is literal, just like the 300 and, uh, three and a half years is literal three and a half years, just like the seven-year tribulation is a literal seven years, the thousand-year reign is a literal view. When the plain literal sense of Scripture makes sense, seek no other sense. Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> now, that begs the question, what is the purpose of the millennium? Well, I'm glad you asked. I know you've been dying to know. Well, number one, and I alluded to this earlier, the promises of God. <clears throat> and I'm going to go through a lot of scripture this morning. Uh, you're not going to have to turn with me. Uh, I'm going to read it with you for sake, read it for you for sake of time. Promises of God. God made four unconditional covenants. Made with Abraham. He made the land covenant, which is in Deuteronomy 29 and 30. We're not going to read all that. Uh, he made a promise to David. That we call it the Davidic covenant. Remember, David wanted to build a house for God. And God said, no, I'm going to build you a house. And then there's the New Testament, which was actually made first with Israel, not with us. In Jeremiah, he says, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Judah and without, with Israel. All right. So in Genesis 12, 7, the Lord appeared unto Abram. He said, unto your seed will I give this land. Talking about the land of Canaan. Now, in Genesis 12, there was no mention of Abraham uh, inheriting the land. But in Genesis 13, 15, God says, for all the land which you see, to you will I give it. And to your seed forever. Now, Abraham never inherited all the promised land when he lived on earth. If you've ever read the book of Genesis, what do we find Abraham doing? He's just moving his tent around, right? His tent. He's the man in the tent. He's not the man in a... But the Bible says in Hebrews that Abraham, that he had faith, and they he looked for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Hallelujah. And Abraham is going to be in the new Jerusalem. He's going to be in Israel in a resurrected body. Glory to God. Because God promised him that he would. In Genesis 15, he said, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you, Abraham, this land to inherit it. By the way, God repeated this promise to, to Isaac. And he says, I'm giving it to you, Isaac. And then he repeated it again to Jacob. He said, Jacob, I'm giving it to you. What about the Davidic covenant? 2 Samuel 7, verse 11. God said, Nathan says to the prophet, And as, as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and it caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you shall sleep with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. And he shall proceed out of your bowels and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. If he committed iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy will not depart from him as I took it from Saul. And then in verse 16, he says, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever. How long? Forever. Before thee. Your throne shall be established forever. Now this is reiterated in uh, 1 Chronicles 17. I'm not going to read that. But that's a re reiteration of the Davidic covenant. Uh, now what about the, the land covenant? God made promise in Deuteronomy 29 about the land. Now in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, and not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took him by the hand to lead him out of Egypt. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. They will be, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now here's the, here's the great part. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. Well, has that been fulfilled? 
Absolutely not. The, the nation of Israel right now is pretty much pagan. But God says there's coming a time when they will all know the Lord from the least to the greatest. Ezekiel 36, uh, verse 24, God says, I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of the countries, bring you into your own land. In verse 26, he says, a new heart also will I give you. This is a new birth. And a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Verse 28, he says, you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. Who's that? Who's that? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Glory to God. The second point is that the prophecies of the Old Testament have to be fulfilled. Uh, Revelation, by the way, Revelation 20 is not the summary statement on the millennium. There's so much stuff on the millennium, we'd be here for six weeks if I were to teach you everything that the Bible says about the millennium. Now, if y'all want to do that, we can do that. But you know we got a business meeting today, too, so we probably better not do that. Um, and no, I'm not resigning in case you're wondering what the meeting was about. Unless some of you think, ah, darn. <laughs> Maybe next time. Anyway, uh, the prophecies of the Old Testament. Do you know how many prophecies there are about the millennium? Uh, oodles and, and oodles and oodles and oodles. Okay, Revelation, the only thing Revelation informs us about the millennium is the duration of it. And how long is it? A thousand years, right? It's not, you know, some magical uh, unknown number of time. It's a thousand years. All right, so let's go through some of these. Uh, <clears throat> Psalm 72, 11, the Bible says, Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Has that happened yet? No. Isaiah 9, 6. Now, we read this at Christmas time. Um, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Has that happened yet? Nope. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts has performed it. Zechariah 9, 10. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion shall be even from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. How about Luke 1? These were the words of Gabriel to, uh, to Mary. He says that he shall be great. We read this every Christmas. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give unto him the throne of his father David. Has that happened yet? No. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Has that happened yet? No. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Hallelujah. Uh, Isaiah 2, 3. It says, Many people shall come and go. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us all of his ways. We will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Do you realize that in the millennium, uh, Washington, D.C. and Europe will not be the capital of the world, but Jerusalem will be? And the Bible says there's going to be this mountain. Uh, right now, the, uh, the topography of Israel could not sustain the temple of Ezekiel. The temple of Ezekiel is like 50 miles square. It's amazing to think about. This is an amazing temple compound. And the, the mountain of Israel, uh, there's going to be a, the highest mountain in the world. And uh, by the way, this is really cool. We're, we're in the midst of the Feast of Tabernacles in the holy season. 
And do you know that Tabernacles is uh, the type of, of the thousand-year reign of Christ? How cool is that that it worked out that I got to preach on this? I didn't plan it that way uh, during the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, as it's called. By the way, in the millennium, in the thousand-year reign of Christ, they will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Not just the Jews, but everybody. And the Bible says that if a nation does not come to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, there will be no rain in that place. That's Zechariah 14. All right. He shall judge among the nations. He shall rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. You know, there's a statue outside the United Nations that's got this verse of Scripture. And do you know the United Nations has, has yet to, to bring peace? Uh, it's really a, an impotent kind of thing, isn't it? But one day, the Bible says that they'll beat their spears into pruning hooks and their swords into plowshares. Um, what, what else? What, what else? I'm trying to condense some of this material. The prayer of the disciples is finally answered. And I've got the references, Matthew 6, 10, Luke um, 11, verse 2. We call this the, the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer. It's the model prayer. You know, they've been praying for 2,000 years. Christians have been praying this prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know, folks, one of these days, God's going to answer that prayer. And oh, what a day it's going to be. What a day it's going to be. Hallelujah. Let's go to the, uh, the next slide. Profiles of the millennium. <clears throat> Profiles of the millennium. Well, I, I got ahead of myself there. First thing is going to be peace. World peace. Not some kind of a flimsy uh, treaty. Isaiah eleven six. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. We often talk about a little child leading them. But that's, for the, that's actually for the millennium. But, you know, kids can teach us a lot. But it's actually fulfilled in the millennium. By the way, has that happened yet? Does the wolf and the lamb lay down together? Well, if they do, both of them don't get up. <laughs> Only one of them does. I, I'll leave it to you to guess which one. Um, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. A little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall feed together. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. We won't even need to go to the zoo anymore. We won't have to have barricades uh, to keep us from these wild animals because they're going to be vegetarians. Now, I'm hoping we won't be, but I, don't, I couldn't say for sure. But <laughs> uh, Anyway, and the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. Uh, the age-old enemy of, the, of mankind, the serpent, will no longer be our enemy. Uh, we'll be able to snake handle if we want to. But until then, I'm not handling those snakes in church, so don't get nervous. But, uh, but we might handle snakes in the millennium, I don't know. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, Micah 4, <laughs> verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord. You'll read about this mountain a lot in the Bible, in the Old Testament. This high mountain, uh, and this mountain of the house of the Lord, shall be established in the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into it. Many nations shall come. How many? Many. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I'm glad that we won't be governed by sinful men anymore. The word of God will be our constitution. It won't be a democracy anymore. It'll be a theocracy. It'll be a theocratic government. God's people. No more elected officials. They'll all be appointed by Jesus Christ himself. 
Hallelujah. We won't have to wait for four years to get things fixed, which they never do anyway, right? Because they, they all just tell us what we want to hear. But we're actually going to have solutions to the world's problems. There's going to be peace. Verse 3, Micah 4, 3. He shall judge among many people, rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, just like Isaiah said, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nations, neither shall they learn war anymore. There'll be no more art of warfare, no more study of, of, of weaponry and warfare. We won't need it anymore. Thank God. For all people will walk, everyone, in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Hallelujah. Uh, Psalm 72. In, the days, in his days, meaning the days of the king, shall the righteous flourish in the abundance of peace, so as the moon endureth. Isaiah 35 so he speaks of prosperity. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Praise God. Ezekiel 35, verse 10 says, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. Everlasting joy. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Praise God. How about Amos 9.13? This is cool. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. It's going to be a time of productivity. And the treader of grapes him that soweth seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. Psalm 24 uh, speaks of the purity of the kingdom. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Jesus Christ said this, the meek shall inherit the earth. Hallelujah. Zechariah 13, 1, it says, In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of all the idols out of the land. They shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. By the way, if you want these scriptures, I can email them to you uh, in case you're wondering. I'm trying to go through these uh, as quickly as I can. But it'll be a time of purity. Isaiah 61 speaks of this also. Now let's talk about the prolonged lifespan. And this is, this is cool. Isaiah 65, verse 17. He says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Now I want to make a point here. This is not talking about the eternal day when there's a new heaven and a new earth, but this is talking about the millennium. And they are different. During the millennium, there will still be birth and death. In the eternal state, there will be no, no death. Okay. Lost my place. Oh, okay. I create new heavens and a new earth. He says in verse 18, But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and the people a joy. And I'll rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall no more be heard in her. Now here's, here's something that's interesting. There shall be no more an infant of days nor an old man that hath not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old. Do we have anybody here that's a hundred years old? No? Well, if we did, y'all just be youngins. 
in the millennium. There'll be no more infant mortality. No more infant mortality. And by the way, the only people that will die will be the unbeliever. From the context, it would seem that the only ones who will die will be those who they have until their age 100 to, to, to believe in the Lord. And, uh, and I could further develop that if you're, if you're interested uh, in that. Now, one question might be, where do these people come from? You know, when Jesus Christ returns to the earth, there will be people alive who enter into the kingdom, who survive the last part of the tribulation period, and they enter into the kingdom. And those people will not be resurrected like we are. We will have resurrected bodies by this point. And they will have, still have a fallen nature. They will still have uh, an Adamic nature. And they will have children. Okay? That's why the Bible speaks of children being born during this time period. There will be uh, millions of babies born uh, in the millennium. And there will still be death, but only for the unbeliever. So uh, a prolonged lifespan. So I, I find that fascinating. All right. Uh, there will be profound joy, Isaiah 12. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. You know, we sing a lot about it, but I don't think we understand just how happy a day is going to be. When cares are all past, home at last, evermore uh, it will be. Hallelujah. It's going to be a great time. And it will be perfect government. <clears throat> in Psalm 2, it says, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Re Revelation 2, 26. Jesus says this to the church. He says, He that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. To who? To the overcomer. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of a potter shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. It's going to be an absolute rule. Revelation 12, 5 says, She brought forth a man-child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. That's Christ. Revelation 19, 15, And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. No more slack justice. No more injustice. It's going to be a perfect government. Let's go to the next slide. Now, positions in the millennium. This is, this is my favorite part here. <coughs> now, I've got a slogan up here. I, I used to be an account rep for Michelin uh, Tires. And uh, there was one, one of my clients, she was head over the truck tire division. Those commercial truck tires are big old things. They're expensive, too. Those 18-wheel uh, truck tires. And uh, her name was Lisa Brazil. She's probably not listening, but if she is, hey, Lisa. But... Uh, I, she just loved the work that I did for her. We had a great relationship. And I noticed the more that I did a good job for her, the more she kept giving me stuff to do. And she gave me this slogan to put over my, uh, over my desk that she, somebody had given her. The reward for a job well done is more work. That's right, isn't it? If the boss man finds out that you're not a slacker, guess what? He's going to find something else for you to do. We have a... Our view of work is skewed by the fall. The American dream is to work to your whatever and retire and enjoy your golden years. You know a lot of people die once they retire. They lose their purpose. I'm not trying to scare you here. I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, you know, it happens a lot. And we have a skewed version of labor because of the fall. When God created Adam in the Garden of Eden, he had a job. People say, are we just going to play a harp in heaven? Are we just going to float on a cloud? Heck no. No way, Jose. Look at the Garden of Eden. Adam had stuff to do. You're going to have stuff to do. 
and you're going to enjoy it. See, the problem with our work now is we're, we're under the curse, right? So we don't feel like we have equal pay for equal work. We don't, often we don't have the best supervisors. Often we don't have the best employees. Often we don't have uh, the most, I, we don't have uh, fair taxation. We don't have, um, you know, and our work is by the sweat of our brow. That was part of the curse was, was that work would be burdensome. But our work's going to be joyous. Do you know one of the rewards of heaven, and i got to say this, we talk a lot about crowns, and the Bible speaks of those. I didn't include that today. That would be another study for another time. But we talk a lot about cr crowns and mansions and stuff, but the real rewards are the service in the kingdom of God. Service and joy. Joy is also uh, a reward. The Lord is coming to reward his people, the Bible says. Uh, in Isaiah 40, 10, Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. His arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him. Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his works. Similar statement in Matthew 25. Revelation 22, verse 12, Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man as according his work shall be. All right. Now, here's where the rubber hits the road, Christian. A lot of folks don't realize this because we think that the only people that are going to answer to God are the sinners. And that's not true. Every believer will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, he says, Why do you judge your brother? Why do you set it not your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As it is written, As I live, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us will give an account of himself to God. That's believers, by the way. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. If any man build upon the foundation of his salvation, of Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. Verse 14. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire, you know. If you're truly saved, you're not going to lose your salvation. Thank God. Aren't you glad for that? But let me tell you what. You can lose a reward. The Bible says that. And I know people say, well, I'll just be happy to get there. A thousand years is a long time. A thousand years is a long time, folks. And yeah, I'm going to be happy to be there just like you will. But some folks are going to be living in mansions and some folks are going to be you know, whistling Dixie strips, sweeping the streets of gold because they hadn't done anything for the Lord. Will they be happy to be there? Yeah, sure. Right? I'm happy to be here today. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thankful to God, but, you know, I want to have some stuff to do in the millennium. I want to have some responsibility. How about you? I, I want to have some, some excitement. I want to have some, some responsibility. 2 Corinthians 5.10 for we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to the, that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Ouch. That's in the Bible. Did you know that? <laughs> um, Colossians 3, 23. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. If you're not doing anything for God, what's wrong with you? Get busy for God. You say, well, I can't do what I used to do. You can still pray. You can still pray. You can share your faith. You can worship. You can praise. You can give. Well, why, don't you, why don't you just adopt a, a country and start praying for revival to come? Why don't you adopt a missionary? You know, we got missionaries here in this church we could pray for. 
Are you praying for them? Are you praying for, uh, for the Lord's hand upon their life? Get active in missions. Get active in foreign missions. Get active in local missions. Give to the work of God. These things will be rewarded one day. You'll be glad you did. He says, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. Colossians 3.25. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect to persons. What is that? That's loss of reward. And that's a, you know, that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. You've read those scary passages in Hebrews. Although a person will not lose their salvation, they can lose their inheritance. And we're going to study the book of Hebrews. So I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But, but that's a, it's, a, it's a very real thing. Um, the nature of rewards. Look, everybody look at me in Luke 19, please. You need to see this. Luke 19. We're almost done. Now, if you're lazy, if you're a lazy Christian, this is going to scare you to death. But if you're an industrious believer, it's going to bless your socks off. You ready to have your socks blessed off? Please don't take your socks off. But. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Luke 19, are we there? Everybody but the preacher. <laughs> Praise God. I'm going to get a drink of water. Somebody say hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. All right. Luke 19, verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added, this is Jesus. He's going to speak a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they thought what? That the kingdom of God should immediately appear. What am I talking about today? The kingdom of God. This parable is about the kingdom of God. Okay? The kingdom of God is not, as the post-millennials believe, it's not a spiritualized kingdom. It's a real literal kingdom. The prophets looked for a real kingdom. Jesus taught and expected a real kingdom. The apostles looked for a real kingdom. That's why they were always arguing about who's going to be the greatest. After Jesus arose from the dead, before he ascended to the Father, do you remember what they asked him? Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They looked for the kingdom. This is a parable about the kingdom. These folks were looking for it. They were not all millennialists. Amen? Hey, that's what the Bible says. They were expecting the kingdom. So Jesus is going to teach them about the kingdom. Watch and listen closely. They thought the kingdom should immediately appear. Verse 12. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. That's Jesus, by the way. And he called his ten servants and delivered unto them ten pounds. And he said unto them, Occupy till I come. Some translations may say do business. That's what it means. It doesn't mean just to occupy space. Just lay on a pew somewhere. Or uh, roll under the, you know, under the pew on the floor. It means to do something for God until I come. But, verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. That's the mantra of the unbelieving world, isn't it? We don't want Jesus to rule over us. Well, guess what? He's going to anyway. People say, I'll be glad when these Christians are gone. Guess what? You'll get your wish one of these days, and it'll be hell on earth when we do. All right, verse 15. It came to pass when he was returned, having received what? Kingdom. Kingdom. 
he commanded his servants, these servants, to be called unto him, and whom he had given the money, that they might know how much every man had gained by trading. The first, then came the first, saying, Lord, your pound hath gained ten pounds. Pretty good. That's a great ROI, isn't it, Brother Lynn? That's good. And he said unto him, Well done, thou good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, what does it say? Have authority over what? Ten cities. Are y'all ready to rule and reign over some towns? You ought to just imagine what, what, what's going to be your dominion. I know some of you already think you're the mayor of Peachland. <laughs> I'm the king of this house. Yeah. <laughs> hey, this is in the Bible, folks. It's, this is not something I'm just pulling out of thin air. Jesus is giving us a picture of what? The kingdom. Do you know there's going to be towns and cities and villages in the kingdom? There's going to be countries and states and cities and municipalities and villages and towns. Yes, and guess who's going to be in charge of them? The Christians. But it'll only be those who do something for God, as we'll see. Remember I told you some of you are going to get your socks blessed off. And some of you are going to wish you had a pair of socks. All right, so we get to the second one in verse 18. And he said, Lord, your pound has gained five pounds. Well, that's not bad. That's still a good ROI. Uh, and what did the Lord say to him? Be over what? Five cities. Wow. Wow. Pretty cool. You can have Morvan and Peachland and Popeton and Ansonville and Waysboro if you want it. Sugartown, is that big enough to be called? A <laughs> I'm told it's a, it's a real place. <laughs> a case of Oldfield. <laughs> That's where my father-in-law lives. He probably wants to be the mayor of Cases Oldfield. All right. Now, what about this other one in verse 20? There's another guy. He said, well, Lord, you gave me a gift, but I just put it in a napkin. Didn't do anything for God. Then, you know, I was too busy. <laughs> I was too busy to do anything for the kingdom. And, and God, I just wanted to live my life. You know, God, you know I was so busy. I just, I didn't have time to pray. I didn't have time to give. Didn't have time to worship. Didn't have time to go to church. I mean, I could go everywhere else I wanted to go, but I, I'll shut up. Um, I didn't have time to go to church and worship. Going to church don't save you, but it'll sure help you if you are saved. It'll sure help you. I'm thankful that, you know, when Lori and I have been quarantined together for this time, we've had people praying for us. You know, because we might kill each other if not for prayer. <laughs> That's the real threat, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not making light of COVID. Not making light of that. All right. But notice what he says in verse 21. For I feared you because you're an austere man and take up that you laid not down and reap us that you did not sow. Now here's, here's, where, here's the crux of the matter. If you don't have a right concept of God, it's going to skew everything, every aspect of your life. You and I need to have a renewed mind, a, a, a conscience that's informed by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. I hear Christians all the time saying stuff that has, that's totally unbiblical. You know, does your, does your view of God line up with the Bible? All right. So the guy with one talent 
or yeah, one pound, what's going to happen to him? Well, verse 22, he says, out of your own mouth, I will judge you. You know, Jesus said, by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. You knew that I was an austere man, taking one that I did not lay down, and, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, then, gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, now, now here's where it's going to rock your theology. Take from him the pound and give it to the one who has. He's not a socialist. He didn't give it to the one with five pounds because that would make it more equal, right? That would be more, uh, more along the socialism, Marxism form of things. God didn't say give it to the one that had five, did it? Who, who got the extra one? The one with ten. The one who was really doing something for God. And, uh, and they were socialists. Look what it says in verse 25. They said, Lord, he's got ten. Some of y'all didn't think that was funny. I did. <laughs> Note to self, don't tell any more jokes about socialism. <laughs> but but that's, that's, the, that's the idea here, right? That's not fair. Why would you take it from him? He's only got one, Jesus. There's another parable called the parable of talents. And God says that he gave according to the ability. See, God knows what you and I will do with what he's given us or what we won't do. Some of us are complaining about, well, Lord, I've only got five talents. Well, what are you doing with those five talents? You're never going to have ten if you don't do anything with the five he's given you. Or the one. The sin was not in the fact that he had one pound. It was that he did nothing with it for God. Amen. And guess what? That one thing that he had, it was taken away from him and given to the ten. What is this parable about? It's a parable about the kingdom of God. Not every Christian is going to be ruling over ten cities. I'm sorry. Not every Christian is going to have a mansion. Not every Christian is going to have equal reward. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach equal reward. And in hell, there's not equal punishment. There will be degrees of punishment. I don't have time to develop that. But that is uh, it's a powerful truth. Um, okay. He says in verse 26, For I say unto you that unto everyone that hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that shall be taken away from him. Okay? So that's the believer who loses his reward. And we know that because in verse 27 he talks about the unbeliever. See, the three guys with pounds are Christians. Two are productive, and one didn't do a doggone thing. He's saved, but it's fire, but, but it's by fire. His reward is burned up. But what is the fate of the ungodly? But the ones who didn't want me to rule over them, bring them hither. And slay them before me. They'll, they'll be punished with eternal punishment uh, in, in the second death. All right. Um, 1 Corinthians 6. You don't have to turn there. But God, Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, Do you not know that you're going to judge the world? Do you not know that you're going to judge angels? Not the good ones, but the fallen ones, of course. You and I are going to judge the world. Um, Revelation 6 says that God's going to make us kings and priests. Revelation 20, verse 4. We've already read that. Uh, the Lord's going to give us a... Uh, a kingdom for a thousand years. Let's go to the next slide, which is the last slide. Everybody breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> this is the last peak in my alliterative, alliterative masterpiece. Aren't you proud? Like, no, just get on with it, brother. Paradise restored. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's hard to find stuff that starts with the same letter. Right? So these guys have got a real gift that do it all the time. It can sound gimmicky after a while, though. Paradise restored. Romans 8. Paul says, for I reckon, that's our Greek word, legizomai. Remember that one back from our study of Romans? It means to account it to be true because it is. It's an account, it's a forensic term. 
For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. See, the millennium, this is the reason I'm teaching on the millennium today. is because you and I need to keep a perspective. We need a perspective about our problems. We need a perspective about our work for the Lord, our worship, our service. We need an eternal perspective. And the only way we'll do that is if we're thinking about the kingdom. I reckon, Paul says, I, uh, I account that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with what? The doxa, the glory. The glory that's going to be revealed in what? In us. Who? The kingdom of God. Do you know the world is waiting on us? Not the unbelieving world, but creation. Let's look at this. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the kingdom of God. Sons of God. Literally, in the Greek, it literally reads that all of creation is standing on its tiptoes waiting for us to come into our own. You know why? Because the earth is under a curse just like we live with the effects of the fall. The animal kingdom is under a curse right now. Um, the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself shall be delivered, delivered from the bondage of corruption to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know, Paul says, he says, we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. I believe that's why we have all these earthquakes. The, the earth is groaning because of all the sin. That's why the seas are churning and hurricanes and all these storms. is because the, the effects of sin. We live in a fallen, contaminated world. And the only way it's going to be fixed is when King Jesus comes. We're not going to fix it. Boy, the environmentalists, they're going to have a heart attack when the tribulation comes because God's going to, this world's going to be in a mess. And I'm not saying, you know, that you shouldn't decrease your carbon footprint or whatever, uh, whatever that <laughs> your thoughts are on that. But, but anyway, I got a, here's a quote that I had from C.S. Lewis, and I'll close with this. I think some, somehow, some way, deep down, we all long for things to be right, don't we? We do. And even the world yearns for it. They don't want the answer, but they yearn for it. We want injustice to go away. We want racism to die, and it's not going to die until Jesus comes back. You can tear down statues. It's not, the real problem is not in the statue. It's in the heart of the human being. It's sin. It's, it's hatred. It's, it's, it's a lack of love for his brother. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. I love this. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Let me read that again. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Believer, you and I were made for another world. This world is not our home. Our citizenship is, for, is in heaven. One of these days, we're going to trade in this, this old body that's decaying, this waxing old. We're going to trade it in for a new glorified body. No more aches and pains, no more Tylenol, no more uh, ibuprofen, no more antacids, no more uh, any of that stuff. No more COVID-19. It's just it's going to be a beautiful, a beautiful existence. Would you stand this morning? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we read about this in Revelation 20. The fate of the unbeliever is not annihilation. The fate of unbeliever is to be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity, for all of eternity. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, regardless of your views on the millennium, one day you are going to stand before God, whether it's by the way of the rapture, the second coming, 
or just by death. I have buried so many people that I love in recent months. It's just not even funny. It's not, and it's not just because of the pandemic. People dying of all kinds of things, you know, because we were not made to live forever. These bodies were not made to live forever. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not going to spend eternity with him. And there's going to be a lot of religious people in hell, the Bible says. Because in Matthew 7, Jesus talks about a group of people. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, we did all this kind of stuff in your name. We preached, we prophesied. They're religious people. And Jesus said, I don't know you. So I want to ask you this morning, are you singing about a God that you don't know? Are you praying uh, to a God you don't know? Or do you know him? Do you have an intimate relationship with him? Have you been born again? And if you're a believer here today, man, a, a thousand years is a long time, and then eternity after that, it's a long time. Have you thought about what the future holds for you? I guarantee you, you thought about your retirement. I guarantee you, you thought about your investments. You've looked over your 401k. You've looked at your stocks. You've looked at your, your profile, your, uh, your portfolio. Have you thought at all? Have you given any thought to what the next thousand years is going to be like for you? Because what you do now will affect the next thousand years for you and me. Would you come? Amen.